0: Welcome to News in Context, I'm Gina Valeria. In this episode, we explore how bridging by building relationships and being curious can connect people across differences, as well as provide lessons for news organizations that seek to inform. My guest is Monica Guzman, Senior Fellow for Public Practice at Braver Angels and author of I Never Thought of It That Way, How to Have Fearlessly Curious Conversations in Dangerously Divided Times. Civity is a culture of deliberately engaging in relationships of respect and empathy with others who are different, moving people from us versus them to we all belong. To learn more, go to civity.org. to have you here, Monica, so thank you so much for taking the time. First of all, before we get into the work and the book and all of that, why this? What led you to doing this type of work, or how did you come to this work?
1: So there's two threads that led me to this work around bridging differences in particular on the political divide, which is a very fraught one for this moment. Yes. One is professional and one is personal. The professional one is that As soon as I got out of college, I went right into journalism. I love journalism. I have this fascination with people and how we surprise each other. I found this weird way to get almost addicted to disappearing into someone else's story. My husband once watched me uh, interview someone, just happened to be there next to me. And later he was like, it's like I saw you in a trance. And I said, yeah, I guess it was. I've never said that out loud before. Oh, wow. I just, that, that memory popped in my mind. Cool. But I do. I, I love getting lost in people's stories. And one thing that I've appreciated in, in that is that it feels important that people understand each other. Uh, it feels important to the whole civic project that we're engaged in by being part of the United States of America, let alone the world and all of that. So the last several, several years, who knows how many exactly, it started to feel like if I wanted to help people understand each other, doing it by being a journalist wasn't cutting it for me anymore because our media ecosystem is so splintered and siloed. So if I told the story as responsibly as I could into this media product, it would reach these silos but not these others. And then increasingly these others would actually distrust the story I just told. So it's like, well, that's not working. The other thread that led me to this was my family. So I'm uh, a Mexican immigrant. I'm the daughter of Mexican immigrant parents and they voted one way in the last two presidential elections and I voted the other Uh, and, this wasn't a huge surprise because when we became American citizens in the year two thousand, they immediately became Republicans, and I immediately became a Democrat. So the journey we've been on has been uh, full of loud conversations, lot you know, lots of heat, um lots of yelling, a little bit of storming out of rooms. and And I laugh at it because it's sometimes funny, but it's sometimes not funny. Uh, and especially in the last few years, it's it's decidedly unfunny, uh, some of these political differences and, and where they come from and what they animate in us. So I have somehow been part of this thing with my parents where we have actually been able to understand each other's reasons for voting the way we vote, believing what we believe politically, uh, and then looking around at so many other families hearing about the pain of rupture, completely different situations and circumstances where talking is is not possible or it is unimaginable or seems counterproductive or too painful. All of these things just made me somewhat uh, interested to obsessed with the question of what is keeping us from seeing each other and how do we get it out of our way?
0: As a lot of people, I am in a very similar boat. My parents are a different political persuasion than I am. And it has been fraught, although, you know, if you lead with love, I think it's better. But for them, it was not necessarily yelling, but pain. Like they were hurt. My mom would look at me during the Trump administration. She's like, honey, you're so unhappy. And I was like, but I, I mean, I don't think I'm unhappy. It's funny, my mom would tell me the same thing. My mom would look at me and say, "You look.
1: You look like you're really suffering and pained," and I worry for that. Yes, because she's my mother, and that's her job. Yes, and, and there was love there. There's a lot of love in that. Yes, and
0: I think part of it is that is recognizing that the love is there. There's one Latino stereotype that we really do conform
1: to, uh, <laughs> and that is sort of loud and unfiltered.
0: <laughs> so <laughs> awesome.
1: <laughs> growing up. Uh, you know, my parents, I know a lot of parents who, you know, if they have an argument, they go behind closed doors. Their children don't see it. We saw it all, all the time. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and so we would see my parents, me, uh, by, by we, I see me and my brother, uh, we would see my parents fight and we would see them make up. And so then we would disagree with our parents because it felt safe. We would disagree and we would make up. Um, you know, so there was just this, this culture in my family around, you just kind of know that it's okay to say how you really. If you're angry, just tell me you're angry, you know, and I'll be angry back. But we'll probably be okay. And I know that for many families, you know, part of it is like there's this culture of of peace um, that is really difficult to suddenly bring in something really important to any of a number of the people in that family if they really care about a political issue because there will not be peace. There will not be peace, and so. Is it handleable? And if it's if it's newer for that group of people to try, it can feel so dangerous to the relationships. But one other thing I will say is, even when we talk about politics, we don't just talk about politics. Like suddenly we'll, we'll remember a memory of something and my dad will go, remember when you were little and you did this? So suddenly we were talking about Trump and Biden or whatever, and suddenly we're looking at me when I was three years old laughing. And like, I'm not saying it's always possible. Sometimes I'm like, hey, can we stick to what we're talking, you know? But but there's this way of mixing in other things, having other ways that we interact where politics is really important and really heated, but but there's more going on. And so it weaves in and out.
0: Yeah, that more going on thing. I love that you said that. So, you know, at civity, an analogous thing is the conversation before the conversation. So before we talk about all those things, you know, if we're not in a family together and we don't have that practice of being able to disagree with each other, then um, how do we see each other? How do we find the point where we see each other so we can start doing that? So so when you talk about, for us, the conversation before the conversation, for you, like it's about more, it's not just the politics. There's other stories, other things. How does that play into the work you do now when you're trying to help people understand or bridge?
1: The cutesy little rhyme I have in my head is relate before you debate. Ooh. Right?
0: <laughs> I love it. I love, love it.
1: coming up with little rhyme. <laughs> 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 but basically the idea there is, we have such different lenses on the world. And when we come together and the first thing we do is share our opinions on a political issue, there there's nothing to tie it back to who we are and the journeys that we have walked. It can get very cerebral very quickly. And what, what it becomes is a proxy for, I'm right. I matter more. My position matters more. You don't think I matter. So I'm going to just stay here and fight. And it doesn't even matter what you're really talking about. But when you're able to come together and see each other and, you know, see that's a person, the things you can do to have the conversation before the conversation, you can even have during the conversation. By doing something as simple as, as you're explaining or you're trying to help the other person see your perspective on a tough issue, you're not just giving them your reasons for believing it. You're telling them a story of the path you walked to the view that you have. And there is such a world of difference between those two things. There's a way that we can accept someone else's path and the story that they've had without accepting the political conclusion that they've made. And that helps people feel heard and seen, which allows them to then hear you back. I always say like people can only hear when they're heard, especially when there's suspicion, where there's distrust. So that's it. So the the conversation within the conversation, if you make it more about the people than just the ideas, then really what you're doing is unwrapping something of yourselves to each other. and And that's really what we're doing when we're having a constructive conversation.
0: That kind of harkens me back to what you said at the beginning when you talked about when you were a journalist, how you would go into a trance while interviewing people. And then, of course, you've mentioned, I really enjoyed when you said interested to obsessed with trying to get people to understand each other because I get that. And I wanted to ask you, why do you think you were in such a trance? Why do you think other people's stories was something that, that enraptured you so much?
1: I think it is so cool when people talk about the things that they love. And so the kind of journalism that I did It was a lot of that. It was, go talk to this person who started this club, you know, for Vespa riders around Seattle. Okay. Uh, You know, or this person who has ended up really fighting for this extraordinary cause. You know, and the the big question for me is what led her to be the person that has made such a difference in her community? What? and And I come to that person going, what led you to make that? And so it's a detective story. It's a mystery. And usually the way that it gets dynamic and fun and profound is when I connect with the thing that they love, that drives them. You're you're helping me realize something actually, like dots I had not really fully connected before. We have this, this assumption we make in our politics that if you oppose what I support, you must hate what I love. And so we'll come into disagreements asking that question. Why do you hate freedom? Why do you hate, you know, my autonomy? Why do you hate my sense of safety? Why do you want, but a better question than why do you hate X is what do you love more? Like, what do you love that I'm not seeing that pushes you in this other direction? So that's something that really um, intoxicated me. Gosh, I remember one of my first like front page stories when I was an intern in college was about a woman who made these beautiful glass lawn ornaments in Dover, New Hampshire. And I just went to her house and it was gonna be a story about lawn ornaments. Oh my gosh. But to hear her talk about her love of nature, of birds, what it's like for her to spend time outside, I'm just enraptured because I, I connect, I understand. And I see how her love for this thing has led to this creation of hers that has has made a name for itself in the community and isn't that so cool
0: i totally get that oh my gosh when i was an intern I, I did broadcast journalism so i was sent and it wasn't such a friendly fun story it was a sad story but i was sent on this story a, a dog had been killed and i won't get into the details but i went to the house and they weren't going to send me because i'm a vegetarian animal lover and then there was no one so i just said i'll go and i was ready i knew the story i was going to write right heartless monster kills dog. you know i had the story ready but I got there, and I met a woman. I was what 22 at the time, and I met a young woman who's 22 who lived in. It was her dog, and she, her life was so different from mine, and her mom. And I started talking to them, and it turns out like the alley behind their house is pitch black. The lights don't work, and they've been begging the city to fix that. And so I was able to see outside my own to get a little curious about her, to connect with the people in front of me and realize, oh, they need something from me to make them feel safer and to make this not happen again. It's to share this story. And so we were actually able to do a meaningful story.
1: That's amazing. Yeah.
0: I hold on to that because it just reminds me to kind of get outside myself. And I want to get into curiosity because I know that that's a big thing. It's a big thing for me and I know it's a big thing for you. But before we actually talk about that in your work now, I want to ask, were you always that enraptured by other people's stories? How do you think that was cultivated in you? Mm. That enrapturement, that curiosity, that wonder?
1: I remember being a child and being quite scared of people. I was pretty shy. I uh, was a people pleaser as a child. And so a lot of my sense of self-worth was about what other people thought of me. Uh, and, you know, that that was like a lifelong thing that I think I've I've made some progress on. <laughs> <laughs> but But back then, boy... You know, if I approach somebody with a question, would I look stupid or they won't want to talk to me? No way. Why would they want to talk to me? So so all these different things kept me from uh, what I now feel is sort of a, a free range <laughs> that I now have to just walk right up to people and be like, tell me about yourself. Obviously, <laughs> within reason. <laughs> but I'm a raging extrovert today. What led me there, I, I really think, was that my shyness at the time went up against my fascination with with learning um, and with surprises and, and just lost. Eventually, it just lost the war.
0: You're listening to News in Context. I'm Gina Baleria. We're talking with Monica Guzman, Senior Fellow for Public Practice at Braver Angels and author of I Never Thought of It That Way, How to Have Fearlessly Curious Conversations in Dangerously Divided Times.
1: I remember one of my first journalism internships. The editor told me that a prior intern had quit after only two weeks because of the fear she had just picking up the phone. And that that she was telling me, look, you're going to have to, because I was a kid, right? You have to call strangers. And I'm like, oh my God. And I was thinking to myself, I'm going to make it two weeks. I, I have to make it two weeks. That's And so I needed to please my editor, right? Because of that people-pleasing thing. I'm going to make it two weeks. What I didn't realize I was doing was I was building the muscle that eventually defeated the fear of other people. Um, because, well, I need to tell this story. There's something that's pulling me to journalism. I know I want this internship. I know I can do this. Uh, and so, yeah, I think back to those those early uh, reporting jobs I still have it in here. I still have it in here like those landline phones, those kind of gross landline phones that had collected so much dirt in the newsroom desk and what what like terror I used to feel picking up that phone. And now it's like not a thing. It's just not a thing. Yeah. Now I'll talk to anybody.
0: Yeah. I, I don't know if I was that shy, but I call myself a shy extrovert and the extrovert way wins. So I was noticing that a lot of people, former journalists who are now teaching kids just aren't curious these days kids, and i'm like well it can't just be that they're somehow different from us right like they've clearly grown up in an environment where it's not it's got to be something that you cultivate like a muscle as you said that you build and so i've been you know doing some writing around curiosity in news and 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 how to teach it or how to cultivate it so you're taking this concept of curiosity and applying it to this work of bridging and this journalism adjacent work um so i'd love to hear how you've taken curiosity and infused it into bridging work.
1: Curiosity requires a comfort with uncertainty and a hunger for knowledge, which means you have to recognize what you don't already know. In our political climate, one of the things we're wrecked by is certainty which is the arch villain of curiosity. Because if you think you know, you won't think to ask. What a lot of research has shown us is that people manufacture certainty about the other side. Uh, For understandable reasons, we're, we're afraid, we're anxious. And when we are anxious, you know, cognitive researchers show, we don't wanna hang on to uncertainty for very long. So we will accept some Easy answer that just comes across our social media feeds about why those other people voted the way they did or think the way they do. It must be this. And we won't even stop to say, wait a minute, you're saying that you read one thought piece on the internet <laughs> with some <laughs> confident sounding statistics and you've decided that you know everything you need to know about 50 million people? Wait a minute, right? Hang on, what are we doing here? And so, stereotyping us versus theming sorting ourselves into like-minded groups because that's where we feel most comfortable. All of those things are perfectly understandable, but have put us in this place where uh, certainty is getting in the way. We believe a lot of things that we have no business thinking we know. And so the only antidote is to ask. That's We have to ask. And you can't ask the media outlet necessarily, right? Because we know that, uh, and I I don't want to dismiss all media, there's really, really responsible, great journalism that looks for nuance and then there's everything else. But there's an economics to it where it does benefit a lot of media to have a loyal audience uh, and it's cutthroat out there. And the best way to have a loyal audience is to kind of affirm their beliefs or at least be really careful when you don't. Here's a flesh and blood human being who happens to hold a different point of view So instead of believing what I've heard about human beings like her, or applying the labels or the algorithms my brain has assembled from this toxically divided world that is scared, I'm going to see what I can learn. It'd be one thing if we were already doing that sort of in balance with, yes, get informed by the media, of course, get informed by the media, look around your world, you know, it's a mix. But we don't have the mix right now.
0: Right. And those opportunities for us to engage with people who might be different from us don't necessarily exist. I mean, we we have our phones. Everything is digital. We can stay in our spaces. And it used to be you had to go out and bump up against other people in the course of your life. And you don't have to do that anymore to a great extent. You mentioned earlier the whole red-blue divide. But I think, and this is a civility thought, is that the red-blue divide is really made up of all these other divides that people sort of select into Red Blue based on how they feel about certain things.
1: I host a podcast called A Braver Way. And through that podcast, we're trying to find and surface and elevate lots of stories. The one that is coming up is from Chris Arnotti. Chris Arnotti is an author. Uh, He's a photographer and he once worked on Wall Street in a very high paying job moving money around, looking at numbers. And people out there, they were all in these numbers, were moving the numbers around. Um, And basically he ended up starting to walk around New York City and he found himself walking to the neighborhoods that his friends would say, oh, that's sketchy, don't go there. And he would start to walk and then he would start to get to know people who lived in some of the poorest areas of New York City. And he started to feel a certain kind of way about what he did for work. Um, so this is not an episode about the class divide. And um, boy, he really he, his is an extraordinary story. He ended up spending years going across the country to all the places across America that people are like, oh, don't go there. Oh, people should be moving out of that city. There's nothing there anymore. But a lot of people stay and are, are forgotten and neglected and there's some large story we tell ourselves about America that doesn't include them. And uh, Chris has made extraordinary connections and relationships and has become best friends.
0: What about people who've engaged with your podcast or your book or other workshops you've done, people who've come to you and shared their experience of a connection they were able to make or heal or, reach across and a divide.
1: There was a workshop that Braver Angels did in the Midwest. And I talked to the facilitator of that workshop who happens to be uh, one of the co-founders of Braver Angels, Bill Doherty. And he talked about a pretty striking moment. The workshop brings red-leaning and blue-leaning politically people together, and in this case in person, And so, one of the blue people who showed up was a landlord uh, in town. And he had decided, as a rule, never to rent to conservatives because all the reasons it would be immoral and wrong. So, during the course of the workshop, he was paired up with someone who was red leaning, a conservative. And they had their conversation. At the end of the workshop, this landlord came up to Bill. And was kind of in tears about the realization he had had during his conversation with the conservative man, you know, he was getting to know this guy that, that he had ruled out as a category is getting to know him and as a person as a human being and think past all this animosity he'd he'd built up and he said, he said, like, I disagree with you. He told the conservative, I disagree with you with everything you've just said, but powerful people want us to hate each other. Let's not do
0: it. How do you see the role of relationships in your work?
1: One of the biggest reasons we find ourselves where we are is because we have been having so many conversations in spaces that leave no room for relationships. So online, this is rampant. I have no connection with this voice that is arguing something. We're making it a proxy for something. We're performing our perspectives instead of exploring our perspectives. So relationships are everything because relationship means I'm invested in you somehow and you're invested in me somehow. And so we can't dismiss each other so easily and maybe it allows us to edit the larger story that contains us all.
0: The larger story that contains us all. I love that. And that sort of phases into my next question is the importance of bridging work and how you can weave bridging into some of these larger spaces. You know, earlier we talked about journalism and that lack of trust. And and now there's, I know you've been involved with participatory journalism, I believe. How do we maybe apply some of these bridging relational curiosity Focused uh, tenets or practices or lessons into ecosystems where we're tra- also trying to build trust.
1: In media and in a lot of other spaces, applying curiosity to language is really important. Uh, language becomes a battleground in times like this. What we name issues, what we name the objects of our political debates, how we frame those issues is everything and so unfortunately language has become such a battleground and things have moved so quickly that i think a lot of a lot of folks in media who did not intend to begin to carve people out of their coverage did and they did not intend to do it how curiosity comes into that is really looking at the names of our issues, really looking at the labels we put. Because look, we need language. We need words so that we can grip concepts and do something with them. Um, But sometimes the right thing to do is take a step back and describe the thing instead of trying to pick one of a battleground of names. So we have to find some way, (laughs) we have to find some way to back out of the assumptions we make about language and the assumptions we make about how it perfectly describes this very, very hot, very debatable, very contentious thing that is actually trying to contain a lot of different stories. So yeah, names are fraught, language is difficult um, and it really helps to stop ask questions.
0: My last question for you, is there anything that I didn't ask you um, that you would like to say that you feel it's important for people to know?
1: I think a lot of times when people think about bridging, given the climate we're in and how scary it can feel, a lot of times people go to sort of the worst case scenario. Uh, and so what I like to say into that fear is, you don't have to talk to a Nazi tomorrow. <laughs> Nobody's asking True. you to do that. You don't gotta do that. Please don't do that. That's actually a terrible right. terrible exa- idea.
0: Yeah, that's the <laughs> terrible time. idea.
1: Um, and so cu- curiosity across difference does not have to look like the scary thing you imagine. It can look like I'm having a conversation with someone else and we don't see something the same way. But before I jump in to say how I see it, I'm going to ask one more question about how they see it. And through that real curiosity, I'm going to demonstrate my interest and I'm going to learn something more. And that person will see that and will feel more heard. And so... Then when I begin to talk about whatever I want to talk about, it is just more likely that they're going to listen. So it's things like that. It's like expressing your opinion. Not so rigidly all the time. You know, research shows us that using what's called hedging language. You know, right now, as I think about it, this is what concerns me about abortion. But I'd love to hear what you think. We think, oh, that sounds weak. Nope. Studies show there is nothing weaker about that that is not perceived as weaker at all. Uh, There is nothing that is perceived as less capable of leadership about that. It actually creates a context where people feel they can be more honest. Who doesn't want that? If we're not honest together, we're not together. (laughs) So let's get honest.
0: Thank you to my guest, Monica Guzman, Senior Fellow for Public Practice at Braver Angels and author of I Never Thought of It That Way, How to Have Fearlessly Curious Conversations in dangerously divided times. This is Civity Week on News in Context. Civity is a culture of deliberately engaging in relationships of respect and empathy with others who are different, moving people from us versus them to we all belong. To learn more, go to civity.org. Music in this episode includes Spring Fling by Track Tribe, And The Heist by Silent Partner. In addition to hearing News in Context every Friday at 8.30 a.m. and 6.30 p.m. on KSFP 102.5 in San Francisco, you can hear it on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, iHeartMedia, Google Play, Google Podcasts, Podbean, YouTube, and PRX. We're also on Facebook and Twitter at News in Context SF and on Instagram at News in Context. And you can find links to all of that at newsincontext.net. I'm Gina Valeria. Thank you for listening.